Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to another episode of Real Talk with Zuby. Today's special guest is a professional singer and DJ, and also a very good friend of mine. Welcome to the show, Charlie Sanson. Thank you very much. Why don't you introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about you, where you're from, where you grew up, what you do, everything like that. Okay, well, for those who don't know me, which I'm going to assume is everyone, <laughs> um, I'm a singer and a DJ. I started performing professionally around 10 years ago. And when I say performing professionally, I mean, that's the first time I got paid. I wouldn't say I was a professional when I first started 10 years ago because I was still learning my craft from a very organic point of view like I, I earned my stripes on a stage I didn't have any formal training or any vocal lessons or anything like that and um, over the years I kind of taught myself through through my peers people who who guided me through the probably the biggest influence on my career to date is a guy called Tony Roberts and he kind of shepherded me through the minefield that is local live entertainment and he gave me some tips and tricks and how to progress and as time went on I I always loved music on a broad scale especially like R&B soul music and I started DJing a lot more towards the later end of my career thus far you know the biggest highlight of my DJ career was working with you last summer oh Bournemouth Sevens Festival yeah 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 because that was you know that was such a surreal experience for me to kind of go from a guy who in the beginning everyone said would you'd never you'd never become a singer that's a pipe dream you know I even had members of my own family telling me to go and get a real job mm-hmm. and I was like no I don't want to get a real job I want to be what I think I'm destined to be which is not to say that I'm arrogant and think I'm a superstar but it's just I had a passion for something that I thought let's not waste this and let's pursue it and 10 years later I'm still singing DJing a lot more but the singing, I've still got a big passion for. Good man. Well, it's a it's a common story for any kind of creative or artistic person, or even just an entrepreneur. I mean, if you do something that goes against the grain, probably ninety percent of the population does things a certain way, especially when it comes to work and employment. 
And so if you're like, nah, I want to go be a painter or a singer or a rapper or a dancer or an actor or anything like that, you're always going to get pushback. Um, so one of, one of those occupations that you said that, I mean, you're talking painter as in artist. But if yeah, have, oh, yeah, yeah. If I'd have said to my uncles, I'm going to go and be a painter and decorator, mm-hmm. I'd have probably got their full support. Yeah, sure. Not to say it's an easy job, but it's, it's an easier attainment than saying I'm a singer. Sure. Because you have to actually be able to sing to be able to do that and sing well to say you can do that. You, you know, anyone can paint with all due respect. Anyone can learn how to paint relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. Whereas I was trying to sing from the age of 13. My obsession with uh, the late, great Michael Jackson spurred that dream forward. Okay. And even though I don't sing any Michael Jackson songs, it was really the influence of of him and some of the some of the singers that my parents and my grandparents listened to, like Elvis Presley and Luther Vandross and uh, George Michael, people like that, who I still listen to today, it's where I'm rooted. Do you know what I mean? It's like where everything for me came from was within those kind of like four four guys. Gotcha. So Charlie, where Charlie, did you uh, grow up? I grew up in the East End of London for a few years. I grew up in Barking. Okay. Um, and then when I was about five years old, my mum moved out of the area to Essex and we moved, where did we go to first? It was either Wickford or Basildon. Um, Basildon is where I reside now. I've kind of lived in this area ever since. Okay. And what was life like growing up for you? I don't know, really. I mean, I, I'm not going to say it was, it was brilliant because I suppose growing up, you think of secondary school. So junior school was fine. Secondary school was was okay except how i started this conversation with you is that i was i've always struggled with diet and and being overweight and i've always been kind of a yo-yoer so for a few years at school i was kind of an easy target for the jokes and the teasing and things like that Mm -hmm. that wasn't the most enjoyable part of my life i think it it built character you know a lot a lot a lot of people that don't have any hardship in in their school years like you know you get the popular kids that coast through they get they come out at the end of it they're still the most popular kid in school they're still got the same group of friends now 20 years later they've never had any kind of like emotional hardship so when you go through something like being teased on a daily basis about who you are what you look like and things like that it it makes you a stronger person so Mm. as much as growing up wasn't the easiest and I definitely wore it well no one no one who knows me back then would ever think I was bothered by things like that. I gotcha. Well, you know, I think hardship is a tricky one because it's always, what's the best way to put it? You know, we all only live our own lives and have our own backgrounds. So I think it can sometimes be a little bit difficult to quantify hardship. You know, it seems like most people, everybody has their, their struggles and difficulties and you know, when you put it, things in perspective, I don't know, on a global basic basis or whatever, you know, if we've grown up in the UK or in the USA or something like that, then to put it simply, like, quite frankly, you're very privileged on a, on a global <laughs> scale, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, if you, if you go through your childhood and there's little bits of teasing or bullying here and there, different people respond to it differently. I, I saw something just the other day where Someone wrote something about how um, boiling water softens a potato but hardens an egg, <laughs> which uh, I thought was quite an interesting thing. And I'm like, yeah, it's true. You know, if you look at different people, right, you've got some people, whether they're 
full-on criminals or they're just people who are antisocial and treat other people badly or act like bullies or whatever or abuse other people and quite often their excuse shall we say is oh well this happened to me when i was a child right so you've got people who go that way they get bullied they get abused they get teased and they manifest that in a negative way later on in their life or you'll yeah. have people who become alcoholics or or get into drugs and they're like oh well you know my dad was an alcoholic so therefore i am and then you've got the complete opposite right you've got the people who go through these things and go through those challenges and having gone through that it makes them be more like no i'm going to be the opposite right i was bullied so therefore i'm not going to bully other people right my dad was an alcoholic so therefore i'm not even going to i'm not even going to touch drink cuz i've seen what it can do you know so it's weird how it can manifest in two quite extremely different ways yeah your perspective is 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 very good actually i mean i take the latter i'm very much an observer of of life and observer of the world and i understand that no one deserves to be treated in any way that i wouldn't want to be treated yeah so i i look at people and i don't i suppose when i was growing up in my 20s um like my early 20s i was pretty resentful towards a lot of things that i felt affected my emotional well-being i suppose mm-hmm. um but i don't let that i don't push that upon other people like i because i'm a dad i would never in a million years want her to feel anything that i felt and i wouldn't want her to treat people the way that i have seen others be treated so with with my daughter she's kind of like my uh uh how can i put it she's myself personified she's the embodiment of my values in a way because she's such mm-hmm. a compassionate loving little girl that i suppose i get given a lot of credit for the way she is which i'm grateful for but i want her to be that way you know i want her to understand that it's not nice to be horrible to people and it's you know she care about other people's feelings and things like that and um it hasn't taken me a lot of work she seems to have grabbed onto that really quickly and i suppose as being an observer of the world like i said i want her to understand how to behave and and how to be and and I try to live my life the same way I got as you, yeah. best as I can yeah man you know we we all fall short sometimes but as you just said if people just remember that golden rule treat other people as you wish to be treated it's funny how rare it can be or how quickly people forget it right when people just start treating people in certain ways or saying certain things or doing certain things to people and you know, it's I just find interesting about the way people feel about when they're treated badly is I'm very much an equality person. So if, say, for example, you know, you punch me in the nose mm-hmm. and I took real offense to that, then I hit you back mm-hmm. and you took offense to that. I can't abide by that hypocrisy. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like if, you, if you're going to play the bigger victim because you've been hit back. Mm-hmm. that does not sit well with me so as people tend to expect to be respected expect to be treated a particular way but then when they got called they get called out on the same behavior they don't like mm-hmm. they're suddenly the victim so you you get double standards a lot of the time with talking with people dealing with people and how people get treated there's double standards everywhere of course man of course it's it's part of life and there's always that fine line between knowing when to turn the other cheek shall we say or knowing when to respond with similar i don't want to say force i guess you i guess i guess you could say force it's a it's a tricky one but you know i think that's just part of maturity and 
growing up and whatever, you know, lots of the time it is the best option just to be the, the bigger man. Mm. And, you know, I mean, if someone's physically trying to harm you or harm somebody close to you or something, that's, that's different. Right. But beyond that, you know, if someone just is using words or is just saying stuff, then, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna flip on someone for words. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, whatever, man, at the, at the end well, of the day, like I'm, I'm very confident and solid with who I am. So there's very little somebody could say to me that would get a massive rise out of me. Cause you know, someone could say, Oh, you're, you're this, but it's like, if I know I'm not that then, okay, buddy, do you know what I mean? <laughs> and that if anything, they, they just tend to get more annoyed because they, they want you to, you know, people want to get a rise. It, it comes back to, you know, bullying, like childhood bull bullies, a lot of the time, you know, or people who tease, they do it to get a rise out of people, right? If someone's teasing you, someone's teasing you and you're just completely appearing to be unfazed by it, then mm. they'll, they'll, they'll generally quit because as soon as you start rising up and they can see you're getting annoyed, they can see you're getting aggravated there. It's almost like rewarding them. That's what they want. But if yeah, you don't, I mean, if you don't rise to it, they're just like, uh, you know, they'll, they'll go find somebody else or go rethink their lives. Maybe. I think that's what I learned, you know, throughout life. I mean, not talking about back in school and bullying and things like that. I'm talking about just real life now. I mean, I've had people lie about me, say things about me, which isn't true say things to my face that I've been quite offended by and um it, it took a lot for me not to rise to some occasion any examples you're willing to share um I, I won't I won't share them purely because I don't want to get the stories mixed up and they're quite old stories okay. and I don't I don't want to be um I don't want to uh not be accurate but um there, there are there are times that you know I have had to keep my mouth shut about things when I really wanted to blow up mm. and at the time it felt like the wrong thing to do it was like what are you doing stand up for yourself go and you know bark in their face like but one of my best friends Michael he um he was the one who's kind of guided me towards how do we put it without sounding cheesy like personal growth because okay. I used to be quite a reactionary mm -hmm. and now I'm very much more placid in my approach to things so if someone says or does something to me which i find to be quite against what i think is right or wrong i just take a back seat see how things pan out and then and then sometimes i'm even wrong about my perception of a situation yeah and then it's like well you know thank god i didn't get involved there because I'd have made that a lot worse and it didn't need to be made worse. So taking a back seat and, and being a little bit more aware, mm. even of things you're not aware of, if that's not too wishy-washy to say, having, having that self-awareness to go, I'm just going to see how this goes, has, yeah. helped, has helped me a lot more than jumping in and being the aggressor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, re reacting to stuff is generally sometimes, you know, we're all, we're all human beings. So it's going to happen sometimes, but normally if your emotions are amped up, then you're not going to make good rational decisions. Sometimes you need to just sleep on something. You know, you, you get mad, you get angry, you get upset about something. Sometimes, you know what, just go to bed, wake up in yeah. the morning and see how, see how you feel about it. Right. You know, if you, if you're someone who, who's got like a shopping problem and you impulse buy, mm. this isn't, this isn't me, but if it is you that if, it, if it's somebody listening then, you know, you walk past the thing you want and you're like, oh, I want that. And instead of just going in there and throwing money at it or swiping your card, actually go home 
and then like wait a couple of days, if you still want it, then that means it's something maybe you do actually want and should buy. If the feeling is just gone and you just wanted it because you just happened to walk past the shop, you know, you just saw that pair of trainers. You weren't, you weren't planning on buying trainers, but you're just like, oh, look at those. And you just go and spend a hundred quid on trainers. Yeah. And then, you know, two days later, you might be like, you know, what? I don't, I don't want to need those. You know, it's just, it's just emotions. And it's, it's the same when people, when people say stuff, if you get into a debate, you get into an argument, whatever. First of all, I know with myself, I always try to assume that people have good intentions. So I don't try to, if someone disagrees with me on something or I get into an argument with someone about something, I don't try to, this is, this is a mistake a lot of people make. People always, people often assume bad intentions on the part of the other person. So instead of thinking, okay, this is someone who just has a different perspective or mm-hmm. worldview or is coming at it from a different angle, right? People are very quick to demonize. So, you know, people do this in, in p- politics, people do this in religion, people do this in just everyday conversations instead of going, oh, hang on, this is someone who's just coming at it from a different angle than me or maybe has a different belief system to me. People think, oh, he disagrees with me, so therefore he's a bad person or he wants to hurt people or he wants to offend people or whatever it is. And that's that's very rarely the case. Most people don't actually like hurting and offending people. It's actually quite rare. So most people don't have differing opinions or argue or debate or whatever because they're bad or evil people, as much as some people would like to think it's that simple. It's normally more just, you know, different perspectives and different angles. And at the end of the day, I mean, we're all individuals. No, there aren't two people in the world who agree with on absolutely everything. Like it's not even, it's not even possible. So I don't know why someone would step out into the world expecting that to be the case if you know what i mean i think people have um a problem with identity politics and you can extend that phrase to maybe identity thinking it Mm. doesn't necessarily have to be about politics but when you said that people get demonized for a different opinion um i would say that's more common now than it ever has been before certainly in our lifetimes i'd say oh without a doubt i mean i was I was subjected to something like that not so long ago, which, um, you know, I'm quite happy to talk about it, but it was go, something. Go for it, I, man. It's, this is real talk. Go for it. I was accused of, you know, being a racist because I had an opinion about a, a public personality or a public figure. Um, and this is, this, is, this is an extremely touchy subject, but it's something which I you know, I was offended by the notion that I was racist because I didn't agree with the way the government handled the grooming gang scandals that have been prevalent across the country over the last few years. And the the issue was probably not with the fact that I objected to paedophiles. It was more to do with the fact that I mentioned that they were Muslim paedophiles. Okay. And... The, the guy that was creating the big fuss, who is quite as a very controversial figure, but Tommy Robinson, mm. I said that in this instance, he has my support in exposing this kind of stuff because I had been reading about the cover-ups in the country about these gangs. And mm. I would say that if you've got 17 different uh, councils covering up 17 different gang scandals, I'm not the racist because you can bet any money that if I was convicted of being a paedophile on a Tuesday, 
I'm going to be in prison by the Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So my object, my support of his, how can I put it, vigilantism, I suppose, mm-hmm. um, was more based on the fact there was a, there was a disparity in treatment. Like the legal system was treating other people differently to what I saw as a free pass for this group of people because they were afraid of being called a racist. Yeah. Now, as far as I'm concerned, that's backward racism. Because if you if say for example you or I, I mean you you are a black man and I'm a white man, I have no faith at all. I know you I know you do have a faith, although I won't I won't assume to know which one. I'm going to assume it's not Islam. That's an assumption I'm going to make that it's not. But if it were, mm-hmm. you may not be given a fair crack based on the reports relating to this particular case. I'm not saying that there's absolute bias, but what I'm saying is in this particular instance, I believe there was systematic political cover-up through fear of a bad PR story. I mean, isn't that pretty much confirmed? I haven't followed the cases completely, but I thought that that's, you know, I thought that that's pretty much what the case was. They were worried about being, they themselves, the police and other people involved in the government or whatever, were concerned about being accused of being called racist or Islamophobic or whatever. And so therefore, they thought that it was a lesser evil somehow to cover these things up, which is completely insane. As a parent, I find the whole the whole thing to be completely abhorrent. Do you know what I mean? It's disgusting. Of course, the the fact that they can make a pass for a certain group. Through, I mean, what's more important, the safety of our children or being called a racist? Because it's not a race, by the way. Let's just get that oh, I, clear. Because yeah. I don't I don't even know why people. I agree. People I agree with that as well. I believe religion is a choice and and it's a free choice. And I think anyone can believe or disbelieve in my yeah. in my case as much as they want. Um, but I don't believe that the system or the government or the police or social services should be given a free pass to any particular group because they choose to believe in one particular God or another. And the fear that the police had of being accused of racism was realized through me. And mm. I'm not o- over aggrandizing myself in saying that I, it's affected me the most. It hasn't. But what I'm saying is, is that from my perspective, I, I, t- I spoke on it and I was called a racist. Okay. I think you're missing the point here. Now, just for just for complete a parallel argument, I know that 90% of pedophile crime is committed by white men. Mm-hmm. I know that's a fact. That's that's a statistical fact mm-hmm. in the UK, at least. Um, but no one's afraid to arrest a white man. You're never going to have anybody going, "Oh, we better not pick him up because he's white and he doesn't have a belief so we better not pick him up because we might get called a racist that's never going to happen no well it's you you know you get this problem this is why you you hear a lot of talk at the moment about political correctness Mm -hmm. and i think that a lot of people don't understand how far political correctness can go political correctness in a normal everyday sense is fine and dandy it generally means not using certain words or terminology that's going to upset people, you know, not trying to offend people for the sake of it, generally just being polite to each other. You know what I mean? That's what everyday political correctness means. But when political correctness goes very far to the point that it stifles facts or it stifles debate, it stifles discussion because people are walking on eggshells because they are afraid of being potentially called some kind of 
ist or obia or ism or whatever and people are people are skirting around there might just be an issue that needs to be discussed okay just put the facts on the table and this needs to be discussed and this needs to be dealt with especially if you're talking about something as serious as crime yeah and absolutely you've got people who may not want to mention certain things or may want to say this or say it's like look this is this is actually this is dangerous okay and if you want to live in a free society where people can have different opinions people can debate people can discuss things you have to be able to put political correctness in in the bin for a moment and just say okay this is the situation these are the facts whatever if you start if people start second guessing or the media or the police or whatever then you're actually entering a that's dangerous it's dangerous people will literally get away like this issue you're talking about people literally getting away with crimes because people are worried about political correctness and that's political correctness gone way too far that's it going wrong that that's just that stupidity and that's also not funnily enough you, you talked about equality earlier and that's not actually equality right people need to understand equality runs in all directions equality doesn't mean special treatment for this person or these people or this group or that group equality means equality it means you treat people fairly and equally and as individuals you don't want to um assign collective guilt to a group or you don't want to start yeah. stereotyping yeah, or agree. you know what i mean you but equality runs always and people can't just take yeah, it when I they want it and then I think political correctness is as is the biggest scourge on society that we have right now, um, mm. especially socially. Um, and I would say that from the point of view that, you know, I don't believe that every person who happens to be a Muslim is a paedophile with what I've spoken about. I'm talking about the people that have been caught out. Yeah. I'm not you're, talking about you're talking else. you're talking about individuals. Yeah, absolutely. And you're I talking think about that's individuals where, that's where political correctness kind of comes into play because if you talk to a to a left wing thinker and you talk about say what we've spoken about today they will call me a racist because they will they will basically imply that i've broadened the terminology to mean every single muslim mm -hmm. which is not what i did no well that's and, that, that's that's their little trick and sleight of hand trying to do that there's no that will want the equality the most and i and i kind of feel like equality equal rights equal this equal that is really a social is a socialist kind of mantra when you think about it it's that it belongs on the left of politics but really it's center right thinkers now that have taken over that that train of thought whereas back you know 30 40 years ago mm. the right wing were the racists yeah. they were the, they were the bigots but yeah, now well, you kind of you get you get a split where you've got more people on the right, the centre right of politics now, which are more in favour of traditionally left-wing ideologies. Well, I mean, it's funny. I mean, classical liberalism is now considered to be on the right end of the political spectrum. So if someone defines themselves as a classical liberal, so essentially what would have been a liberal just a couple of decades ago, that in now, in, in modern day parlance, that is often considered to be right of centre which so, is so conservative well, yeah yeah essentially um it's, it's ironic that you said that or not ironic but coincidental because i was actually researching a little bit about winston churchill yesterday um okay. and he spent his whole political career and he was a career politician flitting between liberalism and conservatism 
And okay. um, it was interesting that you said that because I wouldn't, I wouldn't have really thought that Winston Churchill would have been very liberal because he's always been portrayed to me as a monarchist and very much for the empire, for the country. And, and for me, that doesn't really strike as someone very liberal. But it was just off the back of watching a film about him called The Darkest Hour, which I watched yesterday. And it inspired me to look up a little bit more about him. And, it, and I, I suppose what you've just said would have been true back when he was in Parliament doing his thing, you know, coming up to nearly 100 years ago when he first got in, well, more than 100 years ago when he first got into politics. The way people interpret words and definitions and stuff, it does change. And different people have different views on what they mean. I mean, even the terms in the in Europe and America, they mean quite different things. I'm not a huge fan of certainly not applying political labels to myself, because depending on who the person is and what their interpretation of those things even mean, mm. I, I, I could fall into quite a few camps. I'm certainly not an authoritarian. But there are some ways, by some definitions, I could certainly be considered liberal. By some definitions, I could be certainly considered conservative. And I could certainly be considered libertarian as well. They're not as, you know, th these, these labels are not like hard set boxes, you know, and it depends on the issue. You know, on some things, I might fall on a more traditionally left end. On some, I might fall more right. On some, I might just be in the center. You know, generally, like, most people hover around somewhere in the center, you know? It's yeah, just... I mean, you're going to get labeled <laughs> based on what the majority of that particular X, Y, and Z points that you're yeah. talking about are going to sit. You know, if people, if majority of left-wing thinkers are in agreement with, what you, with something you've said about X, then they're going to assume you're left when, you know, you might talk about Y, and it might be a right-wing thing. A lot of people would assume that I'm, a lot more right-wing than I am purely because of some of the political comments that I've made over the last few years to do with Brexit and to do with what I consider to be common sense politics. Some of the things that I talk about, I talk are, are topical. Like Brexit for me was something which I was passionate about before Brexit was even a thing. I was against the European Union when I found out more about it in 2013, 2014. I started finding a little bit more and more about what the EU actually did and how it was structured and what it and what it stood for and I would say that when the whole referendum thing came around and I probably annoyed a lot of people because I was very passionate about leaving the European Union mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't for all the reasons that the papers and the media would have everyone believe that leavers voted for it's not anything to do with immigration hence the reason why people think I'll be right-wing Brexit wasn't even specifically a partisan thing, though, is it? I mean, it didn't split along the it didn't split along the party lines like some people may imagine that it would have. No, it didn't. And I find that interesting that now we have a situation in the country where you can't even keep the Conservative Party in one piece because they don't know which way they want the wind to blow. Mm. And um, I find it all kind of shambolic. I kind of feel a little bit of guilt in a way for voting the way I voted because. Not because I feel like it was the wrong decision, but I feel like the people in charge of the decision making are going to really mess things up. Okay. And um, I still don't believe the European Union is a good thing. I think it needs serious reform. What are your major concerns with it? There's a serious lack of 
democracy involved in the way the EU is run. I mean, before the, the European Union referendum, even if you go back to 2000 and when was it? 14, when UKIP won the European elections for this country, they got the most MEPs in the European Parliament that year. That was really the pressure starting for the government to do something drastic about this problem. And um, even that, people assume that MEP means that you have an elected member of European Parliament. Effectively, you don't. They're not obligated or allowed to produce any legislation. And the people that do make the legislation are appointed by people that you don't know the names of. Mm -hmm. And that brings me to the, the biggest question of all. Can you name the president of the European Commission? Can you name the president of the European Parliament? If you were to ask that question to everyone who voted in the referendum, whether they believe or remain, I would argue that more people that voted leave would know who those people were and the people that voted remain would not. Mm. And I know a lot of people that don't know the structure of the parliament, don't know how the commission works. And I, like I said, I like equality. I like, to, I like things to be held accountable. And I think we have a big enough problem in this country with our own our own British political structures. We don't need to be influenced or controlled by an external force, especially one that no one ever voted for. So why on earth are we voting to leave? Or to remain, you mean? Well, we voted to leave. Oh, OK. We were given the option to remain or leave. And, and I think okay. that for something that we didn't vote for in the first place, which mm. was originally an, an economic area, should have remained what? And okay, I get you. So you, you think that the EU kind of just went too far to begin with? So Absolutely, know, it, yeah, absolutely. That, that's what happens with any government, though, isn't it? Because people want to, a lot of people think that the government is going to solve all problems. So as time goes on, as decade goes on, governments tend to grow, right? It's much more likely for a government to grow well, than it uh, is to, to shrink. So they end up being involved in so many things, and then you get wider bodies, such as the EU, where you've got a govern, you know, a government of governments, basically. So if we, so if we can scrap it all and start from the beginning, and Charlie's running things, how's it? How does it go? <laughs> uh, that's probably the worst question you could have asked someone like me. <laughs> um, I have, I have obviously have a worldview, but I don't know if I could summarize how I would like the UK to look in the time we've got together. But it, it would be based on more, more to do with accountability and proper representation of the people. If you're talking about Parliament as an example, I don't think anyone in Parliament should come from Cambridge, Oxford or Eton. Why not? More to do with the, the fact that every Prime Minister that's ever been has come from the same kind of backgrounds. Most Prime Ministers have a connection to uh, aristocracy and royalty. Um, there are a few exceptions, of course. but So, so, so I couldn't be in Parliament under your rules? <sighs> <laughs> you know what if i'm honest no if I, if, I, if, I, if I was to stay true to how i really felt then, then no is this not next level classism surely this is not equality if you're barring <laughs> barring certain people mm. again it needs thought it needs it needs proper proper thought to kind of you'd be barring a lot of highly intelligent people as well for that matter how can i how can i how can i put it in a way that doesn't make me sound like <laughs> like I'm being discriminatory towards intelligent people. It's not, it's not that. It's, it's because most people that end up in Parliament all come from the same places. I understand and that. 
And the ones that don't come from the same places never tend to progress. And I find that quite... You're sounding very left-wing right now. This is interesting. That's what I mean. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> you, you, can't, you can't pop me in. There's, you can't put me in a box. Yeah, and, I know. I'm just, I'm just saying. I mean, I, I don't know. I just kind of... I would like it to be more, you know, by the people, for the people, you know, that kind of lingo. Um, and I'll mess that phrase up a little bit, wrong way around. But, you know, I'm, I would rather Parliament was more common Okay, because I believe that the majority of the people in this country are common. When you say common, what exactly do you mean by that? Just like class, or they don't come from money. They don't come from, you know, the right family. You know, I again, yeah, it does make me sound very, very lefty when I'm talking like this. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm even cringing hearing it come out my mouth, but. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I genuinely feel like that Parliament has never truly represented the country, and that will always be a problem when you get politicians from the same from the same farm, if for want of a better phrase. You know, they all come from the same place. Nothing's ever going to change. And if you want change, I think that politics isn't the answer. I think people need to look after themselves first and foremost, and mm-hmm. and. Um, let the politicians keep ruining things for generations to come. So fill me in, because I'm not an expert here. What is preventing people who are not from those backgrounds, if they want to become politicians or get into parliament, what is preventing them at the moment? The problem with political parties is that they select people to be candidates for election. Um, And I know this because during the 2010 election, general election, I kind of got myself very busy with the candidates. I kind of wanted to ask them questions. I went to places I knew they were going to be so I could kind of ask them things and get to know them a little bit better. I mean, I've had conversations with candidates from then up till now on on various different things, even like local councils, things like that. These people are selected by the party. So, for example, the MP for where I live is a guy called Stephen Metcalf. Mm -hmm. Very nice man. I've met him a few times. we know each other to say hello to. I'm not going to say we're friends in any way, shape or form, but we know each other to say hello to. And um, I know that he would have been selected because of how he presents himself, how he speaks, where he comes from. I mean, this guy doesn't even live in the area, but he's the MP. He lives in Chigwell, mm-hmm. which um, is a very affluent area in Essex. You, you know, they're handpicked. They're ha- if, you don't, if you don't quite fit the mould, you don't get chosen to be a candidate. You can go as an independent as much as you want, mm-hmm. but the chances of you going into an election without quote unquote branding, as in I'm Labour, I'm Conservative, I'm Lib Dem, I'm whatever. Yeah, you're going to struggle. You know, it's like saying. So, so, so when you say they when you say they handpick the candidates, is it not the case that anybody could? can run if they if they want to is that not possible is there someone up there saying okay you can't even run i thought that essentially anybody could anybody step up can. and then you any, need to any, get the votes yeah, any, of course anybody can but if you want to if you want to stand for a party you have to be chosen by the party so okay essentially you're you're subjected to how can i put it you're, you're subjected to a class system within the party before you're given the opportunity to okay stand. i I, un- I understand you that makes more sense I don't know what the process is, so I was, I'm just curious as to how 
how it works and what would prevent somebody from running or reaching that level if they, you know, genuinely had their heart set on it. That's what I mean when I said that they all come from the same places mm. because they all look the same. They all talk the same. They all say the same thing every general election. <laughs> and so what you, so what, so what you want is more yeah. diversity. You want, you want 50, 50 men, women, you need, you need, you need X amount of I don't believe black that. people, X amount of Asian people, X amount um, of atheists, Christians, whatnot. I think that that's a nice ideal. I don't think it's practical, but because it won't work, you'll never get those. <laughs> you'll never get those paradigms. But no. you, it, you can definitely strive for it. I would, but then again, I wouldn't say you need to fill up a, a female quota or a black quota or a, you know, a Jewish quota or whatever the case may be. I don't think that would be necessary. But no, I do I'm, 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 so, I'm somewhat playing devil's advocate here. I'm just, I'm curious. yeah, I understand, and and I think that what you say is very novel and it's nice. It's a nice idea, but I think uh, it's, I don't think it's a good idea. But that's me. Um. I think if you, I think in an um, ideal in an ideal world, you yeah. could have, you could if if Parliament was bigger, mm-hmm. you could you could probably do that. But with six hundred and fifty places in the chamber, you don't really have much scope for real representation. Yeah, not, not really. I mean, how many people do you know that vote for a party that believe in every aspect of the party manifesto? Because I don't. I've only ever voted once, man. So I don't even know. So it's funny. It's funny that people view me as a little bit of a political voice and are always interested in my political opinions because I don't consider myself that. Where politics interests me is when it comes to society and culture. So those are things I'm very interested in. I'm very interested in society, culture, morality, and overall social fabric and cohesion, shall we yeah. say. Yeah. And I so, think that what you've got going on is is again, it's I I read your tweets um all the time. And <laughs> I I'm always a big fan of how you think about things and the way you present yourself. And I think it's very, it's very charming the way that you do it, even when you're getting stick online, because you do get some stick from people online. I've read those comments as well. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, what you're commenting on can be seen as political because it's being hijacked by the social justice warriors masquerading as politicians. Mm -hmm. You know, when you have politicians talking about things similar to what you talk about, with all due respect, they've got a bigger voice than you. Mm-hmm. So therefore, you talking about it after said politician makes it seem like a political comment when, yeah, yeah. in fact, it's just a cultural and social commentary that you're trying to project. That's exactly it. Like in terms of the, if someone wanted me to explain to them how like the British Parliament works or how the government is structured or even how the elections work and how the, like, I'm, I don't know. Like I, I'm, I wouldn't know. I could learn it, but I'm not particularly interested in it it's more like the bigger ideas and the things that i think are harmful to society and the things that i think are beneficial to society so if you want to talk about freedom of speech or political correctness or you know just certain ideas then there are some of those things that i view as a you know as a, as a net good and there's certain things that i view as a as a as a problem right? If you've got, as we alluded to earlier, if you have something like crime that is happening and you've got crime going on and people are afraid to discuss it or talk about it or whatever because of political correctness, then you're not going to get a solution. So that's where I become very outspoken because I'm like, look, if you want to actually solve certain problems, you you can't, you know, lack of a better word, you, you can't pussyfoot around everything. You've got to be like, okay, look, this is what's 
going on. Um, and this is where you, you kind of get caught up within your own morality because you, you are one of them guys that doesn't want to offend people. Mm-hmm. But to have the conversation, you have to be offensive. I don't like offending people, but I don't mind offending people. Right. Yeah, if see, someone, I don't if care I... if, if, you're morally ju- <laughs> if you're justified. If you're, if you're morally justified in what you're saying and someone's offended by your moral justification of an opinion or a point of view or a fact even, more to mm-hmm. the point, a fact, I've got no time to, to, to care for how you feel no. because facts, in my opinion, overall feeling. Yes, absolutely. And they should. And if they don't, then again, you're in dangerous territory. When you've got pol- if you've got politicians saying that they don't care about factually being right, they care about morally being right, as you know, a well-known politician in the US recently said, then that's just like, that's insane. What do you mean you don't care about factually being right? You just care that what you say feels good. Do you know what I mean? It's like, no, like you can't, you don't make policy based on what feels good. That Like there's many times that yeah. that's gone disastrously. If you're just trying to make people feel good or trying to get votes and that's all you're doing and you're just making promises that can't be fulfilled or incurring debts that are going to come back and cripple a country, then, you know, that's when people need to. Yeah. So it's, it's all those sort of ideas that I think are, are more interesting or, you know, ideas of, okay, what, what should the government do and what shouldn't it do? You know, I, I'm someone who thinks that the government's role should be pretty small and narrow. Yeah. There are many people that things that people like the government needs to do this, or we need to make this law or this needs to be banned or this needs to, and, and I'm most of the time, I'm just like, nah, that's not their job. Like that's not actually their job. You know, there's, there are things that they can do and we may want them to do. I mean, a great example of that would be the NHS, okay? So in terms of my political views, the NHS, it's not obvious that the government needs to do that, right? I don't think that's strictly part of the government's role is providing healthcare. It doesn't mean they shouldn't do it or that I think the NHS is a bad thing. I would say that it's a net good. Well, well, see, and I, said, I would say that it really is the government's responsibility to provide healthcare. Okay, so you think the U.S. system is out of order, basically? Absolutely. Okay. It's like you walk in. It's like you go to hospital, and it's like the doctor comes over. He goes, "Look, Mister Zuby, mm-hmm. I could save your life, but I need to take your credit card, your home address, your insurance number. You know, need to run the checks on your insurance, and then we can perform this life-saving surgery for you." I think they do it and then bill you, but yeah even though I'm being sarcastic and, mm-hmm. and extremely facetious in my approach with that, I don't believe that you should be charged for life. You don't think you should be charged for life? Well, how come you have to pay for food? Why, why, is, why isn't the government responsible for feeding you? Well, I would say that, that again, in a utopian world in which Charlie Sansom is king, mm-hmm. they shouldn't have to struggle. I mean, look, we talk about equality, but people mm-hmm. aren't born equal. I had this conversation with a friend of mine and he I had to explain my point a little bit. So stop me if you if you miss what I'm trying to get at here. But I said, look, a, a child born in the Congo is not equal to a child born in Cornwall. And he said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, just through accident of birth, the child born in England is as far more life expectancy, far more opportunity for education, mm-hmm. far more opportunity for wealth, health care food and water shelter than a, than a child born in another country which is poor so you mean they're equal in value obviously but not in opportunity obviously 
And but the thing is, when I say people aren't aren't born equally, that's mm. more to that's more to highlight the fact that there there is so so much wrong with world politics that why should a child born in Africa be less fortunate than a child born in Europe? Mm-hmm. And that that was the point he kind of missed, which I hope I've kind of. Yeah, around. no, no, it's, it's, it, yeah, it's a, it's a simple, it's a simple point. Yeah, I know, I understand. And, um, you know, so yeah, I mean, in, in, in an ideal world, no child should go hungry, no child should go without food or water. You know, why should a family in, a, in an African I, I don't think, I don't think anybody water. thinks that they, sorry, Matt, sorry to cut you off. I don't think anybody thinks or is saying that they should. I'm certainly not. I'm an no, African. I, yeah, ab- <laughs> um, absolutely. absolutely. So hopefully you don't think I'm touching on something sensitive. But, no, 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 not um, at all, man. Not at all. My, my question is more like I'm, I'm genuinely curious to understand just to know where you sit on this is if you think that the government should provide health care, why would you not think that the government should also provide food? I do think they should. That's the okay, point I was so, get out of the... the one child is not equal to another. Okay. So when you say you think government should be smaller, then it sounds more like you're advocating for much bigger government. Um, more, these are what you need to do, and everything else could be streamlined, perhaps. Mm. I mean, I don't necessarily think you need lawmakers in general. I think that you, you know, there should be certain things which are deemed to be illegal, and there are certain things which should be deemed as human rights. Food, water, health care... I mean, look, in this country, you've got homeless people that that's, you know, that's, that's unacceptable. Agreed. And yet you've got people working in the government as our lawmakers Mm -hmm. who are given allowances for food and paying their bills and paying for cars and paying for their second homes. Mm -hmm. Whilst you've got people outside a 10 minute walk around London, around Westminster, even you'll find someone homeless. Sure. So there's huge hypocrisy in the world and, um, you know, maybe government should be bigger based on what we're talking about. I, I think that when I say government should be smaller, I mean, they shouldn't really encroach on our lives. I don't think they've got a right to control the way we think, the way we speak. OK, I get you. So so you're, you're essentially for bigger government in terms of service provided. But... Absolutely. Yeah. We, oh, you OK. Know... OK. I'm, I'm not. No, I'm the I'm the opposite. So that's why I was trying to understand the the smaller government idea sort of schism in terms of our personal why is it personal views why is it that you don't believe it should be a government responsibility to look after its citizens well it depends on what you mean by look after if you're talking about military provision and defense you know like a national defense budget then i do think that i do think that falls in the government remit in terms of food and healthcare then one private it's just it's going to be better it's going to be higher quality it's going to be cheaper just due to free market as long as that's allowed to run its course and two yeah in my in my personal view i mean i'm i'm quite libertarian on this i just don't think it's the government's job like if i if i'm hungry right now it's not the government's job to feed me and the problem with those things is in terms of viewing those things as rights it implies having compulsion on someone else right somebody somebody has to be compelled. Yeah, somebody elsewhere. So say you're talking about freedom of speech, okay? Mm-hmm. That's just something that if you were just sitting, if you just existed with nothing around you, you have that right. It's just like a negative right almost. It's, it's like you've, you've got it, right? Yeah. But if you are just sitting around and you want 
bread, then if that is considered a right, then somebody has to be compelled somewhere to provide you with bread. And the same goes with healthcare. So this isn't an argument that um, the NHS should be abolished or anything like this, but I don't, I, I don't personally in my framework classify those as rights. I mean, I think you can weigh it up and say, okay, we've got this much budget, we've got this much tax money or whatever, we can provide these extra services. And of those, I'd say healthcare is a good one, but I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's a, a given that that falls under the remit of what I think the proper role of government is and, you know, private companies, private healthcare can, you know, do and cover that. And that does happen. I mean, I think the UK system is good because you've got both. So if people want to go private, they can go private. If they want NHS, they can they can have that. I actually think that's a, yeah. a good way of doing it. I mean, you, you could apply the same um, principles to food. Mm -hmm. you, know, you could be given a food allowance by mm -hmm. the government. Then if you want to buy your steaks and your, you know, your champagne and all the rest of it, you can spend <laughs> your money. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm not yeah. saying that the government should fund a, a very lavish, expensive food lifestyle. Yeah. I think some some people in this country that have to go to food banks and don't have a home. Mm -hmm. What about if the homeless man who needs to go to the food bank gets ill? Should he be left to die because he's there's no way he's going to be able to afford the healthcare that you're saying should be a system? So what would it, you do with the man that that's on the street who can't afford any kind of care? Charity. Like I think this is the role of charity. I think see this is the problem with. This is this is moving into another area, right? This is one of the problems with the breakdown of overall social fabric and core and common belief systems. So, for example, one of the traditional roles of churches and I believe also synagogues and mosques is that you've got this community framework. Everybody goes to church. People know each other. People know their neighbors. People know people used to anyway, right? People knew their community. So if you've got somebody in your church who falls ill and can't pay their rent or whatever, they tell the pastor or the preacher and the congregation all contribute and will pay their rent. And that's how, that's how it works. Or, you know, first people will tend to go to family to begin with, and then you've got formal charity and then you've got church charity or other belief systems or whatever. And I think in terms of the bigger scheme of things, I think that's one of the actual, to me, it's, it's a bit of a tragedy in terms of the having less and less people being religious, say in Europe or in the, or in the USA even, is that it naturally increases the size of government because you've got government stepping in to do what would previously have been done by parents, been done by family, been done by churches and other organizations. And the problem has been created and then people want to then use the government to solve the problem, and it's something that I think happens quite a lot. So a problem will be created. You could also say, you know, if you look at the rise of, if you look at the rise of single motherhood and fatherlessness and all that kind of stuff, right? This is a problem that has been created partially by what I touched on earlier, in terms of you know people just becoming too liberalized in that sense, and then that creates its own knock-on effects, which then people want to plug in again by increasing the size of government and increasing the amount of stuff that the government is doing right i don't think it's the government's job to look after people on a completely individual level do i think there should be some sort of minimal safety net yes i do i think that's a good thing but i don't think that the first place if i'm hungry 
Okay. If I'm hungry, if I can't pay my rent, the first place I'm going to is not the government. And and I don't think it should be right. I think that should be the absolute last stop. I think I'd first go to my family and then I'd go to friends and then I'd go to my church or any other communities or organizations I'm involved in. Then I'd look at charities. And then if for some reason, nobody out of all those people is able to help me, then I think, you know, yeah, there can be a, there can be a safety net, but, um, yeah, that's, that's my personal thought. It's not saying that, uh, it's not, it's clear. It's obviously not the only, it's not the only worldview, but, um, that's what I say when I, when I, when I say, I think the government should be a lot smaller. I think that people's expectations of what they should do are too big and too wide. I think the whole thing should be trimmed down a lot more. Obviously this would make taxes a lot lower for everybody. So everybody would have more disposable yeah. income. And I think as a knock on effect, I think people would be, people are extremely charitable. If people know that there is a problem there or there is an issue in their community or, or people around them, like people are actually far more charitable than I think we tend to give them credit for, you know, people donate, people donate billions every year, like billions. But what's necessary for that to come is to have that whole social fra- fabric and community feeling and, you know, have, yeah, you know, your you're a British person and you want to look out for other British people around you, or you're from Essex, you want to look out for the other people in your community. You know what I mean? And I think that there's a danger of if that dissolves, then the support network, shall we say, dissolves with it. Like people become too individualistic and too isolated. Like that can also go too far. Like individualism is generally good, but you do also want to have groups and society and a nation, right? Like this is where I'm interested in politics, kind of at this level. Do you know what I mean? So like yeah. not exactly what's going on in the conservative party or whatever, like, I don't know, but in terms of those like bigger ideas of like, okay, what, what is, what is the proper role of government? And people have different answers, right? You've got people who all, you've got people who on the extreme libertarian end literally think like military, maybe the justice system. And that's literally all, um, full on, full on anarchists don't even agree with those ones. Like they, they, they think government shouldn't even exist. I, I think, okay, that's, that's too extreme. Like, I think we do want some kind of government. And then at I the other end, you... the role of it. Yeah. I mean, what you're saying is, is, is right. I mean, a lot of people don't, uh, they have different opinions on what they should and shouldn't do. Um, I kind of take on board a lot of what you said, like in terms of how you see government, I think, fleshing out the ideas you'd come to you'd come you'd probably come to a compromise i mean i don't think that the government should provide everything i think that you should be there like like you probably described it better than i did by saying a safety net yeah so charlie um tell us what you have on the horizon what are your plans for 2019 any big projects coming here we go um i've got some ambitions this year i mean i i always wanted to be uh, a singer and I still would love to pursue like a recording career. Um, however, that is just not, I, I, you know, believe it or not, I was, I, I said to people I was going to release an album in 2014. It's 2019. I've released. <laughs> no album. Um, and I think that's something that I would love to do this year. And okay. it will be a swingy album, like a big band kind of record, which is something that I've always been drawn to even though it's considered, you know, your granddad's favorite kind of music, it's still <laughs> something which I think has got a timeless quality about it. And um, it's probably the best genre that fits my voice, gotcha. even though some of my friends think I should do R&B music. I just kind of gravitate more towards the 
the Sinatra sound and the and the classic, you know, and and ironically enough, you know, Quincy Jones was a massive player in Sinatra's career, and he was also a huge player in Michael Jackson's career, which is probably sure. where I like the the style was so much. There's, I mean, Quincy Jones has got such an eclectic style of production that I'm gravitated to everything that he does anyway. And another thing that I want to do this year is produce a lot more remixes and produce a lot more DJ mixes because it's something that I kind of, I want to focus on a lot more this year. I love DJing. I love creating vibes and creating atmospheres wherever I go. And, and I just kind of want to build a name for myself. And I think that the biggest thing really to kind of get your name out there is produce some good remixes of good songs and, and produce actual, actual good mixes. You know, I kind of want to release a mix maybe every month, once a month, maybe do like a, a mix that I record and then throw it out there and see where it takes me. I mean, I'm just trying to fill up the diary. I'm always looking for work and I want to do bigger and better things. And, you know, I've achieved quite a lot in the last 10 years in, you know, where I, from where I started, I've achieved a hell of a lot gotcha. that I don't really give myself enough credit for because I don't. I don't get high on myself. Do you know what I mean? I don't think mm. that my achievements are incredible, but considering that everything I've done, I set out to do. So we're just going to push forward with that this year and hopefully we can uh, achieve all the things that I want to do this year as well. Awesome, bro. And where can people find you online? I've got my own website. You know what I mean? I'm cool like that. CharlieSansom.com is where I post all the important stuff. Um, but the social media side of things, Instagram is Charlie Sansom. Facebook is Charlie Sansom Official. That's what I chose. So Charlie Sansom Official on Facebook. Twitter is the same, Charlie Sansom. Everywhere is Charlie Sansom except for Facebook, actually. So Okay, so Charlie Sansom. Nice one, bro. Thanks for jumping on the podcast. You're welcome. Anytime. Nice one, man. Have a good one. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.